A warm welcome to our listening audience. My name is John Carroll. I'm the CEO of the Service Council. Uh, welcome to uh, the in-service podcast uh, series where we feature some of the leading, the industry's leading minds around service and field service, customer experience and supply chain oriented topics. Uh, this is uh, a live streaming event. Uh, we'll be capturing this in a recorded fashion and it will be downloadable and accessible via whatever channel you get your podcast from. So if that's YouTube, Apple, Spotify, Overcast, or some other channel, it will be found there. It will also be found at our website. You can go to the, uh, excuse me, www.servicecouncil.com. You can also go to the Service Council if that's your choice, our previous URL and brand. Um, but uh, it is available and accessible as a, a consumable asset on our website. You can listen back to it, share it with colleagues, so on and so forth. And um, I'd, I'd like to invite our listening audience to jump in today. Uh, we have a featured guest who I'm going to introduce here in just a short minute. Uh, that is an expert around topics related to supply chain. And I'll tell you, he gave a keynote speech at last year's uh, Smarter Services Symposium in Chicago. Uh, shameless plug, early bird registration is open for the 2022 event, September 19th through the 21st. Hope you can join us. But um, we not only heard questions from our listening audience in, in, in person at the conference, we heard people just raising their hands simply to thank Alex for the discussion, but also talking about the partnership that supply chain has with service and the importance of it. And, and um, it was just a, a really warm welcome that Alex had and his content was fantastic. So without further ado, let me introduce our guest. Uh, his name is Alex Ward. He's the executive director of supply chain of Cummins. Cummins is a, a large multinational enterprise, 24 billion in revenue, annual revenues last year. And they're a leading manufacturer of power generator engine components, and they have greater than 58,000 employees across the globe. They've been featured for 14 consecutive years on Ethisphere's world's most ethical companies list, which is a testament to their business practices and cultural beliefs around building a, sustain, a, a sustainable supply chain and in, in, in their practices, if you will. So I am so incredibly pleased to welcome Alex Ward to the discussion. Alex, welcome. <clears throat> Thanks so much, John, for the warm introduction. We'll see if I can live up to some of the, the words you used to phrase there, leading minds and expert. I, I, I hope I, I can <laughs> live up to that. But it was a, certainly a great opportunity to be involved in the Service Council and appreciated the opportunity to speak with the group uh, last summer. It was, a, it was a great discussion, great engagement from the team. Really looking forward to the symposium in September too. Thanks, thanks so much, Alex. So, so Alex, uh, I introduced you briefly. Tell, tell us a little bit about yourself, personal education, career. What, what led you to the role of the executive director of supply chain of Cummins? Yeah, happy to, John. So, so I have responsibility for what we call supply chain strategy and, and transformation. I've been with Cummins just over four years. And in that role, I'm responsible for four or five key areas. We, we talk about our long-term corporate supply chain strategy, how we create value across our different businesses, across all of our segments, across Cummins. Uh, we also do and support a center of excellence for supply chain design. It's where we make a lot of the sort of the modeling and analytics for where we place our manufacturing sites, how we design our warehousing networks, how we optimize the flow of inventory. We have a team we call supply chain transformation. This is a global but regionally organized continuous improvement team where we try to build 
foundational capabilities and support some of our larger transformation programs. And then we have a supply chain solutions team that partners with our IT colleagues to deliver uh, design, deploy, the roadmaps, the infant care, the user acceptance testing, all that fun stuff for key enabling supply chain solutions. And together, uh, we really are just trying to, to build capability for our integrated supply chains, improve outcomes for our customers, and, and create value for the business. I um, got exposed to Cummins in my past life. I was a, a consultant uh, with Ernst & Young before I joined Cummins. Cummins was a client of mine. Uh, dating back more than a decade, always one of my my favorite clients, one of the most complex and interesting supply chains, uh, of course, global company operating in 190 countries around the world. And I thought they just had all kinds of opportunities and challenges and problems and interesting things that I could get exposed to. So when I had the opportunity to join Cummins just over four years ago, I, I jumped at the opportunity. I also grew up in the Midwest. I was Born in Ohio, raised in Michigan. You know, I live in Illinois. I work now in Indiana. We're coming to headquartered quite a bit and just really enjoyed the culture of a, a global company that also felt uh, really familiar. Um, before joining Cummins, like I mentioned, I was in consulting. I worked in Ernst & Young supply chain transformation practice for, for over seven years and Capgemini consulting before that, where I sort of first got exposed to different industries and different client challenges and got pretty passionate about supply chain improvement. And getting into supply chain was kind of a, a chance encounter. I went to Michigan State University. It's one of the, the best supply chain programs in the country, but I didn't know that at the time. I was a naive, ignorant, maybe still am, uh, you know, kid trying to decide what I wanted to do and spent a couple of years taking lots of different courses and didn't even know what supply chain management was. I was interested in business and engineering and I, I didn't know what my path would be. And it just so happened I, I sort of met uh, an older brother of a good friend who was talking about supply chain management. And I asked him, you know, what's that? And a couple of conversations later, I was applying to the business school at Michigan State and found my way into the, the supply chain management program. The, a lot of ways, the, the rest is history. I've continued my education uh, also with a focus in supply chain. I did my MBA at the University of Tennessee and with a focus in global supply chain. And they've got an excellent program down there. And, um, yeah, now I'm doing this strategy and transformation stuff. Awesome. So you, you made a couple comments in there, complexity and, and, uh, uh, glutton for punishment, right? You like that complexity. You just wanted to continue in that supply chain realm. So good, good on you. Um, and, and we're going to dig into that complexity a little bit further. Some of the things that you talked about competing in 190 countries and integrating all of these, uh, logistics and, and supply chain functions together. There's some 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 coolness and, and some challenges there to orchestrate things, especially with as supply and demand sort of goes up and down with all the craziness we've gone through. We'll, we'll dig into that in just a little bit. I, first of all, our listening audience is kind of a range of both executive leadership, middle level leadership and and perhaps those emerging professionals that are joining the ranks of uh, of, of the professional world. Let's double down on that career path, right? Getting into supply chain. Your viewpoints on the on the the career path uh, in terms of it being an exciting career opportunity, and you know, is there a career ladder? Is there a career path for those that are considering getting into the supply chain role and into the supply chain world? What are your viewpoints on that, and and what would you uh, uh, suggest to any uh, new recent graduate who wants to consider a, a career in your uh, footsteps? There. Yeah, great question, John. You know, there's all kinds of ways to get into supply chain. So if you think about 
you're just sort of supply chain 101, the scope of, of supply chain. What is, what is that even, right? So we talk a lot about everything from the procurement of raw materials through the, the movement and distribution and warehousing of, of materials, the purchasing, sourcing, category management processes, uh, all the way then to the, the dis distribution to end customers. And there's all kinds of you know, functional skill sets, whether it's manufacturing, industrial engineering, whether it's thinking about operations improvement and optimization, you know, planning processes, demand, supply, production, planning, all those kinds of things, um, trade management. There are so many facets to the integrated global supply chain. And, and as a result, lots of exciting career opportunities for people of all kinds of backgrounds to get engaged in the supply chain one way or other. And of course, the supply chain management is also very different uh, for different industries. So industrial manufacturing, automotive kind of has maybe a more traditional discrete manufacturing uh, way to think about the supply chain, but then you get into retail or consumer packaged goods and chemicals or any other, you know, any other conversion industry that has a different set of supply chain challenges. Uh, and then there's also some pretty exciting opportunities in, you know, even roles like purchasing and sourcing for uh, companies that maybe aren't manufacturing companies. They might be insurance companies or life sciences companies or media and entertainment companies. So there's, there's all kinds of supply chain like uh, opportunities in a broad spectrum of, of industries. And there's all kinds of avenues to get into it. So, you know, for me, I, I maybe took a more direct path. I studied supply chain management and I wanted to get into uh, the type of roles I'm in now. Um, but there are certainly lots of folks that we see in the supply chain at Cummins that came from more uh, diverse backgrounds, whether they were mechanical engineers, they might have been attorneys and dealt with commercial law and contract law. And as a result, they got into the sourcing side of supply chain, or they might have been marketing and sales folks that were doing a lot of account management. And as a result, were interacting with the purchasing and supply chain groups of their customers. And so they wanted to get in the supply chain. So there's all kinds of all kinds of avenues in. Um, there's lots of great programs now at top universities for supply chain management that will give you this this breadth of uh, understanding in your university courses, and it will really equip you to hit the ground running in any number of roles uh, that may be part of a supply chain organization for one of these you know, larger companies. And then I, I would also encourage people to think about you know, just the, the path that you might have out of supply chain, right? You don't need to just do supply chain work. There's all kinds of opportunities to get into things like general management or more senior business leadership opportunities with a good foundation in supply chain. Um, and supply chain really equips you to have a lot of that good business understanding. It's a huge part of the P&L for many companies. And um, as a result, gives you a lot of that financial acumen that you would need to be a, a business leader and a business manager as well. Yeah, and, and, and all those career pathways in that you highlight, those are also potential career pathways out in terms of career lattice instead of just ladder, right? So thinking about adjacencies and, and how does being in supply chain, the role uh, teach you and, and prepare you better to think about broadening the, the scope of your career uh, adjacent to supply chain. So I appreciate those viewpoints. So we've navigated a, an extremely turbulent time frame, right? Uh, COVID, the pandemic, um, the, the last year plus has been pretty wild. Um, and 
and, and, and behind all of the, the pandemic related challenges, now we have international conflicts happening and all sorts of different things that are impacting the world. And, and we've heard this phrase disruption, right? And, and I've heard things like logistics disruption. I've heard production delays, over-reliance on third-party partners, mm -hmm. you know, the, the tech stack and thinking about all the integrated te technologies and, and the, the importance of investing in, in certain technologies to, to improve upon one part of that supply chain, that integrated supply chain. The whole workforce and labor side of things, right? Shortages and all the good things in between. So disruption is kind of like broad, right? T tell us a little bit about how disruption has impacted Cummins and, and some of the things you're looking at. Yeah, I mean, this is, we can do a whole podcast just on disruption. Sure I think, John. It's, um, it's, it's systemic, it's significant, and it seems like a new one pops up every day, right? So uh, certainly in the last couple of years with the COVID-19 uh, pandemic, we have had to respond to all kinds of challenges in the global supply chain. Uh, and also in the case of our industry at a time of increasing demand. And with a global supply chain, you know, we have sources in manufacturing all over the world. So it creates a needed an added level of complexity anytime you have sort of a chink in your armor or a node in your network that is creating a, a particular challenge. In the case of the COVID-19 pandemic, a big part of our priority right away, of course, was just the safety of our employees. How do we make sure that we not only respond to the, the operational or sort of the supply chain content disruptions, but also how do we make sure we respond to the just the people disruption and thinking about the safety of our people getting all the right protocols in place how do we disseminate all these procedures across all of our operations and ensure that we're creating the right environment uh, for our teams and then of course on top of that you've got all kinds of, of constraints in the supply chain so initially we saw a lot of the the shutdowns and lockdowns and challenges in china as the outbreak of course started in, in wuhan and we've got significant operations in Wuhan, in China, and um, that created a lot of a lot of challenges for us in our domestic China business, but also where we had suppliers that were exporting for manufacture in other regions. Um, so a lot of you know a lot of the the turbulence we went through was just getting our arms around where is the next challenge going to be, and how do we prioritize them? So visibility, right? We talk about disruption. One of the key sort of capabilities enablers uh, to allow a company like Cummins to respond to that disruption is visibility. How do we get better supply chain visibility? And we've got a number of initiatives focused on, on precisely that. And then you get into some of the, you know, operations challenges continue and we start asking questions about, well, man, this is here to stay. How do we build more resilience into our supply chain networks? So we've long been on a path to think about our sourcing strategies and how do we make sure we have multiple sources available. You'll hear terms like dual or multi-sourcing so that you're not over-reliant on a, on a single sourced supplier. And we've started looking more aggressively at like, well, how do we do that actually and, and make sure we have dual and multi-sources in different regions. So if a if particular geography has some sort of challenge, like in the case of the, of the COVID-19 pandemic that we can mitigate um, from a, a, a geography perspective as well. And then you think even Longer term, uh, there's a lot of change in our industry. So moving beyond just the COVID-19 pandemic, but thinking about you know, the path to zero and Cummins recently launched our strategy, we call it destination zero and how we really power a more prosperous world, but also be really thoughtful of our impact on climate change. Uh, this is certainly one of the key challenges, if not the key challenge of our time. 
and we need to make sure we're supportive as the industry changes and moves away uh, from combustion engines, perhaps, or fossil fuels that were uh, accelerating the path to that to that zero emissions future. And for us, that creates a lot of challenges in our supply chain. It makes us think about our supply base and do we have a long-term viable supply base and when will those challenges arise and how will we mitigate them, uh, as well as you know just how we plan our own investments internally so that we are supporting our, and continuing to support a base business, which we think is, is viable uh, and continue to grow and will continue to be profitable for many, many, many years uh, while we're investing in our new power business and thinking about alternative fuels and hydrogen powered vehicles and battery electric and, and the supply chains to support them as well as the, the service and support to support them. And that's of course a big part of your audience is how we think about how we offer that sales service and support. And we do that through our, our distribution business and they're a close partner with us in this whole journey. So uh, yeah, we spend, <laughs> as you can imagine, the strategy and transformation team, uh, we're constantly thinking about disruption, supply chain risk, what are the capabilities we need to, to prioritize to mitigate them? So the, the 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 disruption threat is going to continue this year, of course, right? So we're we uh, it's predicted that supply chain issues facing the U.S. will continue pretty significantly. Major ports across the globe have already started working twenty four seven, and it's causing labor shortage and workforce burnout. And what what are what are some of the additional things that are sort of you know headlights at the end of the tunnel, whether it's a, 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 the end of the tunnel or, or the freight train coming at us, what, what are some of the other disruptions that you're sort of, you know, uh, tracking as, as you uh, lead your, your organization? Well, certainly one of the, the hot ones right now is a geopolitical risk. And the, unfortunately, the, the, the war in the Ukraine does create challenges uh, for global supply chains. And that's one we've been monitoring closely. There's been a number of Rules released on new export controls, of course, um, and coordinating across all the the regimes that you know apply those rules to make sure we're being compliant and and being good uh, corporate citizens. We also have employees that are impacted in Russia that we want to make sure we're we're caring for and being considerate of um, as we're navigating this this really turbulent time. Uh, and things like that have these trickle down effects, right? They have uh, impacts to trade routes that would cross you know rail railways or airspace in those regions. Um, there are certain tiers of commodities and metals that come out of Russia, of course. We're seeing a lot of inflation. So those are big headwinds for us as well. Metal markets have been pretty active over the last couple of years, and we continue to see challenges and, and, and things that we need to mitigate in that space. Um, so this is, um, yeah, this is a big one for us. And I think how we manage inflation will, will continue to be a priority. And um, again, a lot of these same levers, right? What Do we have good visibility to it? Do we have right supplier relationships in place are we you know we, are we uh mitigating the risk to best of our ability and sort of managing our costs and our, our overall shareholder return um is a constant a constant battle and, and a, a big big area of focus for the company right now and 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 we're going to circle back to the sustainable uh comments that you've made in in the whole net zero and and all the good things there. Um, uh, love to dig in a little bit on that. And I want to encourage our listening audience, if you have a question or a comment, or if you'd like to come behind some of the comments that Alex is making, or if you'd like to submit a question to him to see if you can solicit some feedback and input on, on your own supply chain practices, by all means, please do use the comment function and uh, we'll see if we can uh, fit that into our discussion here. 
So the the a lot of buzzwords uh, all over the place in the world, especially in the business world, and and we've been hearing agile and resilient and all the good things associated with that. What does that mean to Cummins? Uh, you've talked a little bit about it throughout our discussion already, but tell us a little bit about some of the the, the practices and the cultural initiatives that you have in terms of agility and resiliency and all the good things. Yeah, I mean, this is a great question. I don't know that it's got a, a very clear answer, right? I, a lot of those terms, agile, flexibility, I, I think they're meaningful, they're, they're purposeful, they, they fit the time for sure, but they also kind of all overlap a little bit, right, depending on who you ask. And for us, we want to be agile to serve our customers, right? At the end of the day, we want to make sure we can get them, you know, a quality product from a supply chain perspective, a quality product at the right place at the right time at the right cost. And our ability to be agile and respond to both changes in customer demand or preference, as well as sort of impacts of our supply chain means a lot, right? Again, I talked about visibility. It means we got to be able to sense and respond to these events that uh, will potentially impact our supply chains or our customers very rapidly. It means that we need to be able to be able to have maybe different fulfillment lanes or, or different uh, manufacturing capacity if, if we have a challenge in any particular area. Um, and then on the supply-based side, we have to have a flexible a set of suppliers that we can manage and, and be nimble with uh, to meet these needs and challenges as they arise. So when I think of agility, you know, it's as much about things like uh, the right system capabilities to, to provide that sense and respondability as it is management um, to direct the right activities as it is the physical supply chain to be able to then actually execute on them. So for us, we've spent uh, more and more time thinking about, as I mentioned, having the right sort of multi sources or dual sources so that we're not um, too exposed to any particular supplier or disruption. We're also doing a fair amount of work in our North American network to think about how we can be more integrated across the tiers in our supply chain. So how our our master distribution centers work with our regional distribution centers out to our, our branches and our dealers and our customers. And we want to create more integrated visibility across that network. Uh, we also want to have the ability to more flexibly ship and fulfill um, where we're short. And so those are things we're always looking to optimize, right? Where do we have material? Where can we best deploy it? Uh, how do we sort of return it to our network so that we can push it back out to customers? How do we make sure we have the right stocking strategies, um, things like multi echelon inventory optimization for the supply chain nerds out there, right? That's been a, uh, a big uh, area for us over the last couple of years. And we were pretty confident we've created um, better service than we would have had uh, without some of those capabilities. And unfortunately, though, our, our, our biggest challenge right now, again, being so constrained in the global supply chain, we still have lots of part shortages, and um, that's been a challenge that we are constantly working with our customers to make sure, again, we're getting the visibility to the customers. We're thinking about how we allocate appropriately for those parts that are on allocation, how we drive the right action back into our supply base to break some of those constraints. And um, our ability to do that in a rapid way, align all the right resources, respond to the biggest priority issues is probably how we think about us being agile. And when we're not agile, right, we, we struggle to maybe find what the biggest issue is or prioritize the right work. And then and then we're not being as responsive. Um, when we think of resiliency, I think a lot of what we think about is sort of that redundant capacity, again, in the supply base and our manufacturing capacity, our, our ability to ship and fulfill from multiple locations, have the right 
inventory hedges in place so that we've got parts available um, even when we have operational challenges, whether it's a pandemic or a labor shortage or a weather event. Um, those are all things we want to make sure we've got resiliency in place to respond to those customer needs. You know, uh, uh, just a quick uh, 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 supplemental question. Um, uh, parts disposition, right? The importance of, of knowing where parts are, where components are in the supply chain, uh, whether it's forward logistics and availability for your service agents that are in the field or your service uh, uh, channels that are supporting your customers. Um, but then also on the flip side, components coming back to uh, the enterprise in terms of the reverse logistics cycle and circular economies that come about from refurbished and redistribution policies and things like that. That's a huge topic of discussion amongst service executives and and that relationship between you and the service executive is is super important uh, in terms of maintaining that customer experience and, and maintaining that visibility, as you talked about earlier, to where parts are and do we have enough parts to enable our teams to be effective and, and all the good things. Talk a little bit about that partnership from your standpoint, the, the service and supply chain partnership. What what level of importance do you place on that? So that that partnership's been one of our, our most significant transformation initiatives in the last few years. And, and even, I guess, really even before that. So if I use North America as an example, Cummins long had many independent distributors uh, in North America. And over the, over the last several years, ending really, I think, in about 2016, we fully acquired back our, our really our North American distribution network. And a big part of the, the business justification and strategy for doing that was to make sure we had much more integration to our customer facing part of our business. And that's just been a, a critical strategy for the company uh, for several years now. And the supply chain integration there is one of the biggest enablers of that synergy. So if you think about how we, again, how we get visibility, part of that now is we're all part of one company. And we have the opportunity to drive more integrated systems and processes so that we're actually seeing where parts are deployed and, and if they're turning and serving you know, the demand of our, of our customers. So we've actually driven, John, probably uh, the better part of three years now, a very focused effort on what we call our, our DBU, our distribution business unit and our aftermarket supply chain, much more integration so that we're doing precisely that. And, and we're really thinking about it as one integrated value chain, not, not just a, some, a group that we hand off to and expect our, our parts and sales and service managers to just manage themselves. So by looking at it as an integrated supply chain, and, and we're well into this journey, but we still have a lot more uh, room to improve, we, we are confident we'll be able to create a lot, a lot more value. Uh, and understanding the, the service needs of our customers Right, what they expect to have on the shelf and when, uh, proactive planning of, of major service events or overhauls, uh, working closely on uh, you know our rebuild cycles and partnership with fleets. Uh, those are all key activities that on the sort of the customer facing side send signals now back into our supply chain where we can do a better job of proactively placing inventory and and making sure that we have the right parts on hand to support support those needs. Again, this is. This is the, the optimization that will never end, right? We'll, we'll always be looking to find ways to do this better. And we have a lot of uh, opportunities to improve in this space, but I think we've made really good inroads. Um, at the end of the day, you know, our, our service professionals are out there in the field working hard every day to, to serve the customer. And they expect when they have an engine down or 
uh, routine maintenance that they're going to have the parts they need to get the, their vehicles back on the road and certain, you know, get the uptime that they expect. And so the number one part of having that is the service technician trained and qualified and, and available. And the number two part is they got to have parts to put on these vehicles. And that's, that's the job of the integrated supply chain. Yeah, and a, a tightly woven integrated supply and service chain together couldn't couldn't be more important because it's not just CSAT. It, it, it's revenue, it's cost recovery, right, on the returning of parts and the reverse logistics process. There's entitlements oftentimes uh, in terms of cost recovery and, and, and cost drains on the organization that you can always plug into on serialized components. And, and uh, when you're when you're talking about sophisticated assets like what Cummins produces, that's uh, of course an important function, right? Um, Absolutely. I mean, that the whole sort of return and service supply chain is critical for us for a number of reasons. That uh, one of us, which is we have a, a pretty significant remanufacturing business, and so we we need sort of these the core, right? Our, our used parts and components to come back so that we can requalify them and, and support our, you know the the raw materials effectively now for our remanufacturing business. Uh, so getting visibility into what parts we expect to come back, how we how we manage our now sort of returned core parts for our remanufacturing business is a key part of our inventory management work. Um, and then we also get a lot of insights on you know warranty and repair, right? So we can improve our improve our products, make sure the quality in the field is better, get the right signals to to proactively address issues before they come significant campaigns. Those are all things that we want to avoid and the, the better signals we have back from our, our distribution and our service business, the, the more effectively we can mitigate those risks and, and provide a better quality product to the customer. And, and, and parts is oftentimes pointed to as one of the most profitable components to the revenue equation on the service side, right? Uh, so, so that's uh, another huge lever there. Let, let's go, let's circle back. Uh, we, we talked about sustainability. Um, Cummins is a 14 time recipient of Ethisphere's World's most ethical companies, uh, ethical and sustainable, are are oftentimes synonymous, right? Um, and the United Nations published 17 sustainable goals uh, by uh, the year uh, 2030, and and those goals are not just carbon emission uh, efficient practices, but also, you know, underprivileged and and all the the things that they're looking at in terms of diversity and and um, and and so there's a, a broader sustainable story there but talk about Cummins viewpoints on sustainability and 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 how how woven this is into your day-to-day -day, uh, practices yeah I love the question John I mean this is this is foundational to our corporate strategy so we've had our planet 2050 strategy in place for a long time we think about how we we leverage the unique capabilities of Cummins to better serve the objectives of our planet and to, to manage this systemic crisis of our time, climate change. And Cummins, of course, just as many other manufacturers, has long been focused on sustainable operations, right? We think about you know, how do we use less energy in our facilities? How do we uh, make sure that we're supporting um, water goals, for instance, in different regions in which we operate so that we're, we're not consuming too many water resources? Um, and that we're reclaiming, recycling, reusing water. Uh, we talk a lot about packaging waste, right? All those kinds of things have long been uh, priorities for the organization, as it is for many. Um, Cummins, however, is uniquely positioned. We, we make a, a lot of combustion engines, right? And they, they use fossil fuels. So our ability to invest in new technology as this 
this broad market transforms to the path to zero emissions over the next several decades, we're uniquely positioned to be a part of that. And we recognize that really the, the carbon footprint of our products is our single biggest challenge in meeting our 2050 objectives, but it's also our single biggest opportunity. And we're really excited about paving the way for new power solutions, battery, uh, hybrid, um, and hydrogen powered, as well as green hydrogen infrastructure um, through our electrolyzer business so that we're actually creating uh, really green energy for these power solutions to then use. And that's that's going to be the crux of the transformation. If we're going to get to a, a future that's really a, a zero emissions um, future, right, we're going to need these types of solutions. And we're again, we're uniquely positioned to provide those. And it's also something we get pretty excited about because now our Planet 2050 vision really comes together. It's not just about the more traditional reducing waste or thinking about how we work with our supply chain uh, to reduce waste and, and have more you know, efficiencies, but also our product and our overall product roadmap over the next several decades is, as uh, our customers move to this path to zero. And for us, destination zero strategy is something we get pretty excited about. Yeah, huge kudos to you uh, and and Cummins on on uh, those those efforts. Uh, it, it, you're right. It is a it's everybody's uh, problem and and opportunity. Uh, I I would agree with that. <laughs> let, let Let's go to um, recent research conducted by the Service Council. We just conducted uh, a research effort on KPIs and metrics, and 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 granted. The survey was conducted among service executives, those that operate and, and manage services PL. So, global responsibility, mostly uh, large enterprise, um, inter, you know, very complex supply chains. About 75% of our audience are, are similar companies, dissimilar in terms of asset, but similar in terms of practices and, and supply chain structure and, and customer footprint and, and, and that global nature. And Supply chain was ranked fifth out of five metrics categories among service leaders. It's not surprising, right? The service leader has an agenda. Uh, they've got cost and and they've got revenue and CSAT and employee metrics to consider, and 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 they oftentimes lean on their supply chain partners to to handle you know many of these things, right? Um, but recently, um, we uh, conducted a, a service leader's agenda, and supply chain became the largest external challenge among service leaders, right? So it's kind of a disconnect there. Um, and so I'm, I'm curious your viewpoint of the role that service leaders can help in terms of steering your direction and agenda and how do those things come together? You talked about the importance of the partnership between service and supply chain, but talk a little bit about your peer on the service side of the business. Should, should supply chain be up the ladder in terms of prioritization? Well, I'm certainly biased, John. I'd like to say it should be. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, w one way to think about it is maybe just how a lot of these service organizations have been structured over the years. They, they've had, you know, a focus on technical service. And as a result, um, we don't expect everybody in the service organization to be supply chain professionals. And at the same time, it's hard to you know, teach all your supply chain professionals how to be technical service providers and, and service leaders and managers. And so there is, um, I think, just through the nature of industry and education and, you know, the way we've scoped roles and so forth, there's there's two distinct groups in a lot of organizations and their partnership is critical. Um, what I, I guess I would say is that 
you need you need good understanding in the service organization of the supply chain but the supply chain's got to also start thinking about the service organization as their customer and the the customer signal that they're going to get and i think we in many cases we buffer the unknowns or the variability in that customer signal with inventory and waste and lost productivity. And if you're a purist and you want to really optimize to best serve our service channels, we, we need more collaboration. We need more insight into the customer behavior. And we need to make sure that that then drives the supply chain to, to respond to those different customer service segments. One of the biggest things supply chain folks talk about all the time is customer segmentation and, and what is the supply chain treatment then that you need to have in place to serve these different customer needs. And we rely in the case of uh, industries with significant technical service businesses, we, we need to improve that partnership so that we really understand the customer segments. We've got the right inventory deployed to, to best serve their needs. We, we're thinking about a responsive supply base to these different needs and uh, we're designing our supply chains accordingly. And, in many cases, I think that's a, that's still um, even for companies that do this really, really well uh, and have very high fill rates and service and so forth to customers. I think there's still a lot of optimization to be had uh, by improving that partnership, improving that that signal, if you will, the demand uh, from our customers and from our service professionals in the field and making sure that um, they're productive and efficient as well. And the supply chain has a big part in that. So yeah, I'd like to see it maybe higher <laughs> on the list, but uh, I think we all have an opportunity, you know, through this group and others to to help educate uh, more and make sure we're driving focused action in that space. I, I think we just figured out your keynote this year at the Smarter Services Symposium. <laughs> how, how, how do we get service to uh, move uh, supply chain up their agenda? Cool. Um, let's circle back to that KPIs uh, and benchmark survey, uh, KPIs uh, and metrics benchmark survey we recently conducted. The survey found, you talked about fill rates. The survey found low average and high performance in service parts fill rates, 27%, ouch, 76% uh, and 93% and low uh, average and high. How does this compare to Cummins? Uh, what are some of the metrics that you go to and, 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 and what are some of the achievements your organization has witnessed around some of the key metrics that you model your business after and, and really look at the health and wellness of your own business uh, in terms of metrics? What, can you share a couple of uh, a look under the hood, if you will, uh, pun intended? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, so I, it was, uh, my first question, John, was actually the, sort of the time frame everybody responded to that. I'd be, uh, it's curious because the the twenty seven percent is probably a, a, an honest low, I, I suspect, from for many companies. the The middle seventy five, kind of seventy four range there for fill rates actually feels maybe too close to home. Um, that's um, that's definitely we've had times of performance that low. Uh, we'd much rather be in the high nineties, right? So even a a ninety three percent best in class fill rate actually feels low. But relative to recent times, probably not. Um, there's just been so much disruption. And as a result, fill rates have tanked and uh, back orders have increased. And I think we're seeing that in a, in a lot of our, our industry peers as well as the Cummins. Um, but it's certainly not where we want to be. So I, maybe I won't air our dirty laundry to the, to the tune of exact metrics. But um, I certainly think that the, the last couple of years has been probably some of our most challenging times in terms of continuity and, and making sure we're, we're serving our customer needs. 
Um, and it's just, you know, tiers and tiers of the supply chain that are short parts. Um, and they're short parts because of all the disruption and sort of the, the cascading effect that that has on the supply chain, as well as the increase in demand in our industry in particular. And, and we've been shipping record volumes in many cases, but um, still, you know, still have backlogs that we need to be able to address. Uh, as far as broader metrics, I mean, we, we've also seen, you know, challenges in inventory um, as uh, just maybe a broader, and not just a specific Cummins example, but I think a lot of supply chain managers have seen, depending on their industry, profile changes in the inventory they need to have on hand. Consumer behaviors changed. Uh, people are working from home. We, you know, we saw all the stress in the the semiconductors uh, industries, which certainly has impacted automotive. It's one of our our headwinds for sure. Uh, but a lot of that's driven too by just the change in consumer demand for electronics and how the pandemic and work from home has impacted a lot of that. So you, you end up with this sort of, you know, what are the metrics that you have a good baseline? Because there's such a new normal uh, for so many industries over the last couple of years. And as a result, you know, it takes some time to reset. So you, you don't have the right inventory on hand or you don't have the right supply chain design. And at the same time, you're battling all these, you know, other other headwinds. And so I think you're going to see, um, hopefully, a lot of predictions that you will see shortages in certain categories go into 2023. But hopefully, you'll start to see much more stability in the vast majority of, of key categories throughout this year. Um, I, I hope it doesn't get any worse. I, I expect it to only get better um, but, you know, with the next disruption around the corner, it's uh, it's always a little bit of a guessing game. Uh, but, yeah, the metrics to watch, I would certainly be, you know, look at inventory performance, look at how companies are turning their inventory. Is that a great indicator of whether or not they've got the right things on hand? Um, certainly where you see inventories going up, you're, you're seeing companies that are trying to rebalance and reset. You know, how do I make sure I've got the right mix? Um, and companies with long product life cycles and, and significant aftermarket parts businesses like Cummins um, feel that in an exponential way because it just takes so much more time for us to, to react and respond to those to those changes. And, and, and there's also this uh, notion of who owns the inventory, too, right, that comes into play in terms of that inventory processing. Um, so uh, interesting viewpoints. And, and you talk about disruptions and, and um, the the, the potential landmines that are coming. Um, anything that you're prognosticating in the future that you're like, whoa, uh, this is coming at us hot and heavy. Uh, look out. <laughs> so uh, maybe a couple areas. So certainly inflation is one that's yeah. top of mind. We, we mentioned that earlier. I think we're going to need to be really clear, even just for supply chain professionals, they're going to need to be thinking about how they're forecasting cost impacts you know, what are the operational efficiencies or improvements that they can they can drive within their own business to mitigate them? They're going to be thinking about, you know, how to how to manage their supply mix and, and balance across different sources of supply to to manage those exposures. And, and many companies will be thinking about um, how that's going to drive pricing actions to their customers. And so that's going to be a key one. Um, it takes a little while for inflationary pressures to cascade through different tiers of the supply chain. We think about raw materials all the way to end goods. And um, that's something that uh, I think everybody will be laser focused on managing. I also think we'll always be looking on the lookout, hopefully, uh, hopefully not, but, you know, for the next, the next Omicron or the next, uh, you know, COVID variant that could have a detrimental effect um, 
to the to the global supply chain and, and we certainly hope we're through the worst of that um but some recent announcements that the folks have probably seen coming out of china and shenzhen and Shanghai, where there's been um, lots of lockdowns uh, with China's really just zero COVID tolerance policies. And I think it was in Shenzhen, something like 89 COVID cases led to the lockdown of over 17 million residents. And um, those are big manufacturing centers and and um, drive a, a lot of a product into global supply chains. And so uh, we'll certainly see hot spots like that pop up and, and drive drive disruption. Um, some of the other, you know, challenges, I think we're, we're going to certainly hope to see our ocean freight markets sort of come back down. Uh, they, it feels like they peaked last year. I mean, container loads were costing as much as $25,000 per 20 foot equivalent unit. And we are hoping to see that, uh, continue to, to stabilize. Um, but again, there could be some additional headwinds there. Premium freight's always a big one that, um, we always have our eye on and many, you know, many companies of course will, and trying to decide when they want to take action to expedite expedite product and, and how it impacts customer service. So those are things we're going to keep a close eye on. And then longer term, I think that, you know, the, the conversation continues, right? How are companies investing in more resilient and flexible supply chains and where are they willing to sort of trade cost for flexibility, or they might have to nearshore products uh, in the case of the automotive industry we're, we're looking at nearshoring more products because of the requirements for uh, regional value content in the the usmca trade agreement the united states mexico canada trade agreement which requires us to have certain amounts of content uh, produced within the trade region and so that's driving changes to global supply chains as well and just you know that the whole protectionism regionalization Trends that will continue, I, I think, will continue into the future. We saw, of course, all the action a couple of years ago now with Brexit, USMCA, of course. Um, we're seeing the evolution of the, the TPP um, trade agreements. And all those things will drive different uh, regional supply chain behaviors and change for, for big, complex global supply chains uh, like Cummins and many other companies. So those are all on the agenda and uh, continue to drive lots of lots of action in our supply chains and and i suspect we'll we'll continue to to drive that for for many years alex thank you so much for spending time with me today as a fascinating discussion and a great resource for our listening audience uh, i want to thank you and commons for uh sharing some of the viewpoints that you have and um we'll uh we'll look forward to welcoming you at the smarter services symposium to continue the dialogue uh, and that will uh, be in the September timeframe for those listening. Um, so thank you very much, Alex. I really appreciate you joining us. Absolutely, John. Thanks so much for the opportunity. It was a pleasure awesome. speaking with you today. Outstanding. So join us next time as we welcome Eric Anderson. Eric is the president of Global Services of Hologic, also a board member like Alex. Uh, Alex has uh, made many contributions in his board capacity, uh, this being one of them. Um, and we'll dive into culture initiatives and building a culture of care and services humanity. Hologic is really a pioneer in the whole humanity uh, and um, uh, treating their service as a function of humanity. Um, so a uh, really interesting discussion we'll have uh, on our next month's edition. You can access today's podcast on our website, www.servicecouncil.com or whatever wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe, uh, whether it's YouTube or Apple, Spotify, Overcast, whatever that might be, uh, you can find us there. 
Until next time, uh, please visit our website and uh, consume some of the content we have, including today's podcast. And uh, Alex, once again, thanks so much for your joining us and, and sharing some of your insights. It's been wonderful spending time with you. Absolutely, John. Thanks again.